0: And so the idea in business is a lot of times it's not a quantity problem. It's it's really being able to narrow your focus because a lot of times what happens is people want to build messages for everyone. And when you build a message for everyone, you're building a message for no one.
1: It's time for today's episode of the College Recruiting Weekly Podcast with your host, avid coupon clipper and America's college recruiting guru, Dan Tudor. Hey
2: coach, how are you doing? Great to have you on another edition of College Recruiting Weekly. We're glad you could join us. Glad you're listening to the podcast. And hopefully you are subscribed and you're telling your friends to subscribe because that's what's going to make this uh, better and better as time goes on. Uh, the, The topic we're talking about today is something that we talk about with coaches almost every time we're in front of them and that is the importance of storytelling. Storytelling is the essential component of recruiting because the recruit is buying into your story or they're not buying into your story, and they're buying into the story of one of your competitors. But how do you tell a great story if you may be feeling like you've never been trained to tell a story? Well, today we're going to lean on an expert, not only uh, an expert in storytelling, but also an expert in, in at a very high level, telling businesses how to communicate their brand and the why of, of why someone should buy from them. And he does this all over the world. He was a speaker at this past year's National Collegiate Recruiting Conference, which we hosted at Duke University in June of 2017. His name is Joe Collins. He travels the world working for businesses, giving them the insights on what they need to do to tell a story. And even before that, how do they build a story based on what they're all about as a business? Uh, I am lucky enough to know Joe. He lives uh, nearby uh, here in North Carolina and uh, sat down with him and just talked for just under an hour about this craft that he has become an an expert at, which is storytelling. And I wanted to to share that with you because it is so interesting. And here as we start another recruiting year, I think it's going to be so valuable for you as a coach to look at this and listen to what he says and possibly use bits and pieces or all of it to construct a better story and to get better recruiting results because that's what we're all about here as we make every effort to help you in your career become better recruiters, which is going to lead to become better coaches. So the first thing that we we talked about with with Joe Collins was the the preparation for telling a great story and we kind of divided this up into three segments pre-story telling the story and then what do you do after the story So that's going to be what you're going to hear today like I just mentioned we have uh, we were starting it by asking him what it is that is, the, the, the center core of a great story, and how do you develop it? That's how we
0: started the conversation. So I think the, the biggest thing that I've learned in my career is this, that you know, I used to be a terrible speaker because what I would focus on is what I want to say. And what I realized is it's not about what you want to say, it's about what the audience needs to hear. Mm-hmm. And so I think regardless of anything that needs to be the core tenet of any type of story is it's really about what the audience needs to hear. Not necessarily what they want to hear, but what they need to hear. And so with that in mind, I think the key to storytelling is, you know, starting with the audience first and really understanding the audience. Just to give you an example, it was probably maybe a, a year ago, I was speaking to a pretty young audience, a bunch of millennials and I was using the example of Indiana Jones and probably 75% of the audience had no idea who that was and I almost cried because I was like oh how do you not know this but it just showed that I didn't think about who my audience was and I was using a reference that they didn't know and so that's just that beyond anything like that's really the first kind of thing
2: so I mean I hear a lot of coaches and even admissions personnel at colleges they'll talk and say well you know it's what do you mean? It's what they want to hear or or need to uh, uh, need to hear. I know what they need. I, I as the adult. I as the expert in at this college or in this field in you know, coaching or admissions. I know what's the smart what the smart way to do it. But you're saying that you have to have to suspend that thought. So how do you do that? How do you put? How do you suspend that thought and and see it from that other person's view?
0: yeah so when we when i work with businesses to build stories basically we spend the first part of the day talking about who the audience is and really establishing like here's here's who we're talking to and then for the next few hours all we do is try to delve into their world because i think so people so often people get wrapped up in their world to say here's what we do here's why our stuff's great etc but it's about getting into that audience and i think you know, for coaches, it's got to be hard because as you're older, trying to get in the mind of, you know, a teenager, that's that's a challenge. But I mean, that's really what you need to be able to do is think about their world, how they communicate, what's going on in their minds, because, you know, one of the things we learn in brain science is that. Um, In the human mind our kind of frontal cortex is not fully developed till 25 years old So I mean as an adult you think rationally and logical, but as teenagers You're still very emotional very rather than logical So a lot of the way we think is fundamentally different than the way they think and I think that's a key thing to consider Okay, so so putting ourselves
2: in in their place uh, Whether it's you're dealing with your business dealing with your customer. You're a coach dealing with your athlete and admissions personnel uh, dealing with with a student. What's the best way to do that? Like, what are the steps anybody listening to this could start taking to to begin to do that? Because again, our, our natural tendency is, wait a minute, I'm the expert. I need to tell them what to do and what they should think about this. So how how do we kind of stop that? Press pause on that and and take that look uh, at at
0: at your audience? Like what are the most effective techniques to do that? Yeah. So, you know, in in this type of storytelling, and I think this is relevant for coaches or businesses, generally the story you're trying to tell is someone's at a decision point, right? Mm -hmm. So someone's at a decision point and they have a decision to make whether to go with you or to go with someone else. And so I think part of getting into their mindset is to think about, you know, if you were faced with a similar decision or in your life were you faced with a similar decision what was going on there weighing the pros and cons so i think that that sort of helps to get in the mindset that says here they are they're at the decision point they're weighing the pros and cons and you know what goes on in your mind what are you thinking about what might be kind of tipping the scales one way or another. But I think a lot of times thinking about those decision points is good. And what also gives you the opportunity to do is think about personal stories that you have that say, hey, I had a similar decision and I either chose poorly or I chose well. Mm. And a lot of times when you talk about when you chose poorly, People like to learn from mistakes. And so what I find is when I'm sharing personal stories, a lot of times if you say, man, I chose this and I'm just, I'm, I wish I hadn't because, you know, here's where that led to because then that's almost like a moral to the story. And that's that's a great way to be persuasive in a subtle way. Okay, so so that might be a not a, an interesting way to balance
2: creating your story is if you were that adult in that, you know, coaching or admissions role and you felt like I really know the best way to do this. I don't want... These kids to make the same mistake that I want to make. Exactly. You tell them that story, or of you, like mm-hmm. sort of you know, with the moral to the story, and uh, and that can get them to maybe take take a look at that. Um, so why don't we why don't we do that? We grew up as kids with with learning fables and that had, all had a moral to the story, and that's sort of how we learned. Why are we giving that up? Why is our we don't really we don't really communicate like that
0: anymore? as yeah. adults. it's. Um so what's interesting is we, we talk about this in class, and it's this, that if you analyze human communication, 60% of human communication is stories and rumors. Hmm. Like, that's it. If you if you look, and so... That's all social media come <laughs> kind of to think of it. And so that's, that's the reality. But what's funny is that's how we communicate with people we like. Right. People we don't like, it's very factual to the point. And unfortunately, what happens is... Oftentimes when we have information to share, we tend to default into the more logical, robotic thing. And so one of the techniques I learned, and I learned it early on, it's this concept of best friend voice. Okay? Mm -hmm. And so, and this gets more into the delivery, but the idea is that when you're talking to someone and you want to engage them, talk to them like you're talking to your best friend because I've seen so many people where, especially in a business setting, they sound like a weird like robot DJ and it just doesn't connect with the audience (laughs) so you want to be able to kind of communicate on a level and part of that is sharing stories. If you pay attention the next time you're out with friends, the next time you're out to dinner, what you'll see is a series of stories being passed back and forth that's how we communicate as human beings but in certain circumstances we put that aside to say, now's not the time for stories we got to get down to business and that's really the best time for stories right and you know you bring up
2: a couple of good things in that but the one I'll touch on first is the idea that sometimes when we're in a business or a sales setting we go into this almost fake version of ourselves that we view as well this is the right way you talk in business and, <laughs> and this is how I have to dress and act right. and and coaches will do that with their letters their emails they'll they have these master's degrees, and some of them have you know, even higher level degrees, and they tend to want to show that off. Or, or the attitude from a college is, well, we're a college. We have to show how smart we are, and meanwhile, like you're pointing out, you have a 17-year-old kid that's trying to get a feel mm-hmm. um, for, you know, does this feel right? Does it sound right? Does it sound like right. my best friend? So how, how difficult is it, have you found, for businesses? To talk, I'll, I'll rephrase this or maybe translate uh, what you just said, but to talk more casually and more person to person and get away from sort of the corporate speak that, that kind of, you know, so prevalent in the 80s, 90s and, and, and now it just doesn't seem to work. So, I mean, how, how hard has it been to get businesses to get to, to change? Because I know it's difficult and challenging for coaches. I'm just wondering what you're seeing on the business side.
0: Yeah, there's there's a reason I'm on the road almost every single week. So <laughs> it is uh, it's super difficult. I mean, we we talk about like buzz speak, and you know, it's just amazing that when you when you talk with people, just how they use you know they feel like using kind of these buzzwords and big words makes them intelligent. Um, but one of the things I share is I remember one time seeing it was a. Um, like a world-class heart surgeon. And he was talking about kind of the dynamics of the heart. And he was talking to all these doctors in the room, some of the smartest people in the world. But this guy, listening to him speak, I'm telling you, a fifth grader could have listened to him and totally got it. Mm. And because he was using simple language to describe it, but in using simple language, in no way did you feel like, hey, this guy's dumb. You thought he is incredibly intelligent. And so that's the thing. I think people, if you feel confident in what you know, you can say it in plain simple language. And I think it's people that are a little less certain or a little less confident. That's when they go to the big words because they feel like they're not going to be able to demonstrate their expertise with simple language. And it's just not true. Wow. the other thing that I thought was
2: interesting, uh, that I want to go back to, is stories and rumors. That that's how we, yeah. that's how we communicate, and that's how we look at at you know who do we trust and who do we you know listen to. Um, and you know, I sort of off the cuff said well, that's social media. Well, we pay attention to social media quite a bit in in today's world. So if if things are communicated in stories or rumors, how does that what what application would a business have to to use that principle to market effectively and I'm going to try to you know then whatever you're going to say I'm going to try to you know give a lesson to coaches well here's now how you can use you know the idea of of stories and rumors being a main way we communicate to to communicate to your recruits but I mean how what what is the practical effect of of building out a campaign that is filled with story, stories and rumors, and I guess I'm saying that in the best, best possible sense uh, I can.
0: Yeah, so I think it's, um, it, it's a fundamental shift, right? Because then it's not about information dumps. Because, mm. you know, what happens today is people are inundated with noise and right. facts and figures and all that stuff. It just it falls into the noise. And I think on the business side, what people want is they want vision. They want people to be able to come in take the noise and stitch it together in a story that's relevant to them, that's what they want. And so I think when you think in those terms, then you just look for opportunities to share stories, not to share facts and figures. So it's it's almost kind of this evolution of marketing and sales to think about your storytellers, you're not just kind of fact deliverers. And so when you do that, every opportunity that you have to sit down with someone, that's a chance to kind of convey information in a story format. Right. Um, so that's, yeah, it's just a kind of mindset shift if you would. And
2: then it goes back to, you know, if you're telling stories, I think it goes back to something you were talking about earlier, the voice that you tell it in is going to be important and, and planning on how you're going to tell that. So you could tell a story or convey a rumor um, very, you know, factually and, and almost like a news report and almost, it, it provides, you know, it, it almost as a, as a, arm's length distance from your from your audience it's not personal you're just conveying facts so with when you're working with businesses what emphasis or what teaching points do you you stress as they're planning out what their campaign is on
0: the voice that they use to talk to their audience yeah I think the um, the biggest thing is practice and it, it seems like such an obvious thing but people don't practice stories like think about that when was the last time you practiced a story people don't do it but what I found is the people that I know in my life that are masterful storytellers right when they start spinning a yarn everyone stops talking they listen they practice stories and so it's almost like the world of of comedy. Those guys get on stage, they tell jokes, they tell stories and it seems very off the cuff. It seems natural, even though they practice it a thousand times. And that's why it comes across as so natural right. because they practice it. So for me personally, one of the things I've had to work on is practicing stories. It feels weird, right? I'll just, I'll be telling them to the dog, but I just, yeah. I want to practice yeah. verbalizing the story sure. because then you don't trip over your own words that you can kind of flow it out naturally you can work on your timing but it really just does take practice like saying it aloud many many times and it feels it's one of the most unnatural things in the world but if you do it right it just it sets you apart
2: I don't think there's many coaches or college officials that do that so that's a great teaching point I'm just wondering on the business side do you get pushback from business leaders that say I've got my MBA I'm really good at finance or you know I've been a sales manager for 15 years what do you mean I should practice? Do you get, is that a point where they they almost, they don't
0: want to practice? They don't want to put that work into it? Well, I think um, it's interesting because you, you have different camps. All right. So what I find is, and it's ironic, the best salespeople, like the, the ones that always hit their quota and stuff, they are the first ones to look for something different hmm. to do, which is ironic. You would think those are the guys that are like, I know yeah. what I'm doing. It's usually the low performers, right. the ones that argue the most, be like, why should I listen to you? Right. I'm like, because you're not going to make your quota, and you'll probably be fired next year. That's why. But the people that are the best, they're the first ones to, to adapt, and I think that's why they're the best. Right. So that it, it's an interesting dynamic that goes on, but most of the pushback I get is from low performers, not from high performers.
2: Right. That's almost, you know... Tom Brady as much success as he has had as the quarterback of the New England Patriots uh, and continues to have you know every offseason he's calling guys up and, and playing catch and throwing and you would think that he'd be a guy that why would he need to practice in the offseason I mean he's well it's because he wants to continue to be the best and so that's sort of the the principle that that you're talking about what are the things as you as you sort of figure out what, you know, how you should talk and what are the best stories or rumors to tell. How do you wrap it up? How do you, how do you kind of put a plan together? If, you know, certainly if you're a business, that's important, but for coaches, you get all these ideas. What is the best way to then, to then put together a plan to, to begin to execute, which is the next phase of this that I want to talk about. But as you're in the planning stage, what's the, what's the best way to kind of put it all together and, and make sure you're coming up with the best possible
0: plan. Yeah, so I think there's there's two parts of planning. One is you want to plan your story. So, you know, one of the things from a storytelling perspective is you, what I like to use is post-it notes. So if you're creating a story, and again, this seems like a weird thing because stories you just feel like you spin out a story, but. What I do is kind of lay out a story. You have the different parts of it on post-it notes and hang it on the wall. Because what happens is some, if you think about movies and stuff, a lot of compelling movies start in the middle. They don't start at the beginning. And when you have it kind of up on the wall and post it, you can start playing with order. You can say, hey, I need more detail here. I need less right. detail here. And so it's almost like kind of Hollywood story storyboarding when you do the that. Visual, the, yeah. the visual is important. Yeah, and aspect. so that, that just helps you kind of visualize your story. And so that's part of planning is just being able to plan your story, the flow of it, etc. And then the execution of it, another interesting thing that we work on in business is to say, a lot of stories are big, right? And you you always have to think about what you're selling. Because most times, at least in business, you're not selling a contract. What you're selling is another meeting. And so Mm. it's a different kind of mindset. And so with that in mind, you don't need to tell your whole story every single time. And in fact, sometimes you want to tell part of your story. It intrigues them to want to sit down with you again. And so that's, that's another kind of interesting thing is, especially if in marketing and stuff, you're taking pieces of your story and kind of throwing them in the water like breadcrumbs. And when someone bites, then they're gonna come back and want more. And so that's another interesting dynamic of storytelling is you don't need to tell the whole story. In fact, sometimes telling just part of it, that's even more intriguing. Okay,
2: that was good. We now know how to build the architecture of a great story in the same way that businesses around the world learn to tell their story. But now what? Now it's time to tell the story, and we wanted to jump into now the next phase of, of this. Once you have the story to tell, how do
0: you tell it best? So I think the, the simplest example I can give is why do films use movie trailers, hmm. right? Why do they use movie trailers because what they want to do is they want to intrigue you to get you to come in the theater and pay money to see it now If you think about a good trailer versus a bad one, you see bad ones all the time in comedies where they show the funniest parts of the movie and you would think intrinsically, hey, I'm showing you the funniest parts so that will increase the likelihood that you come in, which might be true, but once they get there, they're gonna be angry because they've already seen the best parts, right? And so that's, I think when you think in those terms, it's about intriguing someone, but it's also about leaving them wanting more and being able to deliver on that desire and not just giving away your best stuff at the beginning.
2: So when we were talking about execution, is there also an aspect of this that that it gives you something to keep talking about? Because if you're a business, you might be marketing to a customer for the next year uh, if you're launching a product. And for a coach, you might need to keep the attention of the athlete for the next year or or 18 months as you recruit them. Um, so so breaking it out in segments, what you're saying is that that's, that's a better way to... Keep them coming back, or having them a reason, giving them a reason to come back.
0: Yeah, yeah. So the idea is, um, when we construct, because like you said, some sales cycles a year or two years. So that's a long conversation. And so the idea is, once you create kind of your core story and here's kind of the heart of what we're saying then what you want to be able to do is figure out how what what's the time frame that we need to tell that story and and how can we tell it in different ways because you can't just keep saying the same thing at a certain point people are going to tune you out and so you need to be able to say different things but what you don't want to change is the heart of your story so once you know that you can deliver it in a 100 different ways you know so it's almost like if you think about books, sometimes you have books where it's the same characters, but there's different adventures right, each time, yeah, right? Yeah. So you get to know that, that core team, but then each week it's something different, something right. interesting, and so that pulls you in. But if the core team or the core heart changes, then that becomes confusing, right? So if you're watching Scooby-Doo and all of a sudden he's biting people, giving them rabies, you're like, hey, that doesn't fit <laughs> the story, right? So you want to make sure that it stays in the, in the character, if you yeah. will okay so that's a really interesting point that you
2: just brought up sort of keeping your core your core either core characters or core you know points of the story <clears throat> that you're trying to uh that you're trying to to get through so I, I imagine then that both in the planning and execution knowing what that core is is really important And can you have more than one core uh, core thing or core story in other words could there be two or three core things that you keep coming back to is that smart in the business world that you i mean could you have any thoughts on on that
0: yeah so what happens in the business world and this might apply in athletics is there's different levels of message right so sometimes i'll work with a company and they'll say as a brand, what do we stand for, right? So at the highest level, what's that? Then you go down further and they might have a technology division, they might have a healthcare division, they might have et cetera. So you have these different kind of departments, if you will, and each of those departments might have its own story, but that that underlying story still needs to tie in with the larger story because as a brand, if this is your kind of what you stand for, each department should kind of align to that, even though they have their own stories. So there is some kind of connective tissue between the levels, but you can absolutely have multiple stories depending on the department, organization, etc. Right. Okay. So as
2: so you're in the middle of executing a story, uh, whether you're a business or a coach. Um, how important is consistency of that message? Whether you're in a business and you're advertising it yep. uh, or you're a coach and you're emailing and sending letters and you know, av- you know, putting your, your story out on social media, I'm just wondering what you've noticed about consistency in the messaging as, as a way to make sure
0: it's effective. Or, or is it important? Is consistency not important? It's it's critical. I mean, it really is. Because what happens is, you know, for anyone, whether it's a coach, whether it's a business, if you sit down with kind of individual workers, individual coaches, and ask them the same question, right? Like, what do you stand for as a university? What, why would people come to you? You're going to get a 100 different answers, likely. And so that type of inconsistency is confusing. And so people don't like confusion. And when you're giving them confusion, you're actually decreasing the odds they're going to choose you. So what we... What we work with businesses on is to say, let's get the story straight, right? Let's get it straight, but what we don't want is you being mindless robots, everyone saying the exact same thing. And so the way i describe it is i want people singing from the same hymnal right Mm -hmm. it's the same song but once you learn the song then you can make it your own right right? but if you if you're not playing the same song that's problematic so and that's what i see is people feel like they know the story they don't because there isn't a story it's just a hundred different stories and that's confusing
2: you took consistency actually down another road Um, you were talking about the consistency of everybody Telling basically the same message, which was brilliant because I wasn't even thinking of that. I was thinking more simplistically, which would be more like along a timeline of of you know the repetition maybe of the message over over a uh, consistent period of time. Mm. Um, do you find that you know I guess what level of importance does it play in the business world? To always be in front of, or consistently be telling that message, as opposed to you do it for two or three weeks, and then no advertising for two months, and then come back and and say it again.
0: What which way is the better way to tell the story? Well, I, I think with the with the amount of noise that people have, it's it's good to kind of keep reinforcing. And I think the thing that's critical is if your story is putting your customer or your target your your kid at the heart and kind of making them the hero then it's something they want to hear i think where most people go wrong is what they're constantly doing is just bombarding people with their greatness to say here's why we're awesome here's why you'd be lucky to have us etc and that type of constant drip campaign will make you want to rip your ears off but <laughs> if it's showing you like here's here's value that you can get or here's how your life can be better etc people are much more inclined to hear that rather than just me hearing you brag I don't want to hear that and no one wants to hear that okay so how do you
2: you're a team that's just come off your your second straight conference championship and I you just got coach of the year and um, four of your or four of your kids went on and were, were accepted to grad schools and you want to brag about that or you want to make that a part of your story because, hey, as a coach or as an institution, we're proud of that. But at the core, it's one of those facts that, you know, maybe kids aren't interested as much uh, in as some of the other aspects of the program because, well, that was somebody else. That's not me. That was somebody else that that happened to. But how how do you, if you're a coach or a college, what would your recommendation be for you know, if you have something to brag about, how do you do that effectively when you're executing a message? Um, and I don't know if that goes back to it being one of the core parts of the story or, or I mean, maybe how often. Because I, I think that's one thing that coaches struggle with is, look, I don't want to brag about myself. And yet, if we won this championship or we won more games than we ever have or we sent more kids on to grad school than we ever have, I want to let them know because that might be a decision Point or or proof that we're actually headed in the right direction. So, what would your advice be to a coach that that is looking at that?
0: Yeah. So, I think you you said the key word, which is proof. Okay. So the whether it's championships, whether it's awards, those are proof points. Hmm. Okay. And because a lot of people say in the business world, they want to say, "Hey, we won ten awards. That's awesome that you won ten awards." but there's a reason you won 10 awards. There's a deeper reason why. And so I think, you know, to me, people lead with the proof too early and what they miss out is the story. So for instance, if you're a college coach and you've won three years in a row, whatever it is, There's danger in that because if I go to you as a student and I say, hey, we've won every single year, we're the best, I'm thinking to myself, I'm going to be on the bench for three years before I touch the field. So that could actually drive me away and where if you said, you know, our goal is to to focus on the best best athletes in the world, to bring them in, to fill them in the right spots and that's why we've won the championship the last two years and you can be a part of number three. That's a whole different thing because then you're thinking, wow, I can be the next in a line, rather than saying I'm the fifth in line to take the field. So
2: when we go onto a campus or we work with a program as a client and help develop their messaging, one of the things that I talk about a lot is you have to give the athlete context. You have to give them context for why you're saying what you're saying. So it sounds like that's sort of what you just talked about. Was was it's not the fact that you know that business won ten straight awards. It's what led to that, and that's why then you, as a customer or a client, should care about that. Is that, am I getting that right?
0: yeah it's you know I think um, in in the world of business what we call that is differentiation Mm -hmm. right so people feel like an award is what makes them different the award isn't what makes you different what makes you different is what caused someone to give you an award right right? so if you got an award it's not the award that's different that was just someone's judgment it might be that you have the best customer service in the world or you have this or this so a lot of times we have to dig past the awards because to me an award is a beacon showing me there's something deeper there and when I dig in deeper there's gonna be something really special down there. That's why you're winning so many awards or championships. There's something down deeper and that's people need to dig in there when you get there. That's where you get to kind of the special sauce if you will.
2: And I think what the point that I hear you making, Joe, is that for the coach that's listening, the thing that they should know is it sounds like that's what you've determined people want to hear. That that's what matters to them. It's not necessarily the end result. It's how do I fit into this, or why should I care about you know that award? I mean, is that fair enough? That that's really that's what that's what gets them to respond.
0: Yeah, yeah. People people want to be the hero, right? And so if you make yourself the hero, you make the program the hero. Then they just feel like. They're not part of it, but people want to feel special. And so if you make it seem like, you know, what's standing between us and championship number three is exactly what you do. And you're the key part to bring us here. They feel like they're necessary, like they're the the hero of this story that can bring them there rather than saying, hey, we won two. We probably win three, whether you come or not. So it really doesn't matter. I mean, you know, so you want to make them feel like they're the key cog in this, you know, kind of uh, story. So I want to, before we leave, the idea of of executing
2: properly the the story that you've created uh, here in this sort of phase two of of creating a great story, Um, and this is going to be hard for you to answer. I'm just going to preface that (laughs) as I ask you this, but but because every staff is different. Sometimes you have a coach or a business that maybe has one or two people that are in charge of this, and sometimes you have five or six or more people that are a part of a team that's doing this. From an execution standpoint, what have you seen teams do well and teams do poorly when it comes to using everybody that's available to them? I've seen, and the reason I'm asking this, is I've seen coaching staffs where nobody wants to lead and it's they have a lot of resources, a lot of hands that could be doing work, but nobody wants to do the work or doesn't feel like, well, that's not my job or I'm not good at that. And then you have really small teams sometimes where Maybe because they're forced to, they just have to dive in and get the job done, so can you give us some sort of like hey, here are some recommended to do's or here are some danger point red flag things that you should look out for from just <clears throat> strictly using your personnel and and actually executing that plan
0: yeah, so I you know I think back to early in my career, and this was one of the most impactful exercises I ever went through and it gets to your point about kind of creating engagement, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Our VP brought us all in the room and he said, you know, I want you to imagine five years from now, we're on the cover of the Wall Street Journal and we've done blah, 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 blah. Right. So he laid it out and he said, really imagine that. And he said, now we are going to spend the entire day, no laptops, no phones, reverse engineering to say how we got there. Wow. And so we work backwards year after year after year for five years. and part of the focus was every single person in the room had a role in getting us on the front page. And so what it did is it basically created a whole blue map blueprint for five years to say, here's how everyone in this room is involved. And so what it did is not only did it give us kind of ownership of it, it also gave us accountability. It gave us engagement because we all felt like we're all working towards the same thing and we all have a part of that. And it just, it's the only time I've done that in my career and it was just so powerful. Like it really stuck with me. So I feel like for coaches, If you guys are all on the same page and you say two, three years from now, where do we want to be and how are we realistically going to get there? Because if we're not all kind of rowing in the same direction, we're not going to get there. And so I think that starts to create that kind of common organizational vision that people buy in and they want to contribute. But it does take some leader to be able to step up and say, here's what we're going to do. We're all going to get on the same page.
2: And so when you were a part of that or when you've seen businesses do that, and that's that's a fantastic piece of advice because that's basically... I describe that when we're creating for our clients the message. We start with the focus group surveys and, and the research and know what got kids at the school. And then we, the exact terminology I'll use is we reverse engineer a message from that. You're, you just outlined the same thing. But going back to sort of the individual roles, so you have the brand new person on staff, you have the experienced you know person on staff. When you take them through that process or if a coach just listened to that and said, hey, that's a great idea. I want to do that. Do you find that people will sort of self-identify the roles that they should be involved with, or what they are good at, uh, and that's what gets them engaged? And because you may have somebody that's not very experienced in social media, well, I'm not gonna—I'm gonna shy away from social media, but I'm really good at, at communication on the phone, and so that. I, hey, I raised my hand, I want to do that. Is that sort of how you've seen it play out just as you go through that exercise? Do people kind of jump in and say, well, I want to do that because I'm good at that, yeah. and I don't want to do this because I'm not good at that, and, and that's what solves the problem of, of
0: who does what? Yeah, so I think in, in the case of what I went through, it was a little more kind of you know stay in your lane and just see how you mm-hmm. can help. I think if I was doing it and it was my team, I would make it more flexible. And mm-hmm. so I think to your point, different people have different skills. And so if you start to see this person has a real passion for social media, this person is great in front of a room, etc., I want to play to our strengths. And so just like you would do with your team to say this kid's fast, this kid's strong, whatever it is, you're going to try to use the strength of your team to maximize the results. It's the same thing. But, you know, so you want to start with that vision and then start saying, "All right, for each of you guys, how can you start contributing? Like what can you do to help kind of drive the ball in that direction?" And and leave it open, right? So I think if you make it too structured, then you lose some creativity. And it could be some of the things they come up with, you, you need to hire someone new or, you know, have someone do it. But I like to, when I'm brainstorming, just leave it free form and just see what comes out. Mm. And then you start having people sign up to say, you know what, in the next six months, I'm going to own this. Like, I, I feel passionate about this. I'll take this on and then just go from there.
2: All right, coach. Now we're going to go to a place where most coaches don't go. They've never even thought about this. What happens after you tell the story? It's kind of our third segment in this three-segment podcast interview that we're doing with Joe Collins, nationally known, internationally known brand manager, brand builder, storyteller that consults with businesses around the country. So what do you do after the story? What are the essential things that need to happen for you to actually convert interest into action? How do we now as a coaching staff or as a business figure out are we telling the best story and is that story working? What are some basic measurement devices that you've seen be put into play that that might be applicable for any business or any coaching staff or any department that's looking at, at, at measuring or figuring out, are we, are we actually getting the results that all this work, you know, that we hoped all this work would, uh, would result in? like What are the, some of the ways that you've seen measurement take place?
0: Yeah, so I think the, you know, before the specific measurement, I would say that the big thing that you're looking for is you want to define what does success look like okay? Because for different people, it looks differently. So if it's at a brand level, success might be, I just want to be more top of mind when people think about it. It could be, you know, I want people when they come to the shelf to pick my box over someone else's box. I mean, success can kind of take on a lot of different roles. And depending on what it looks like, there's um, kind of specific measures for that. But I think fundamentally, a lot of people don't even think about just in general, what does success look like? So does that mean that we're getting uh, four five-star prospects in this year or what? So just being able, that just in general say Here's what success looks like. Once you have that, then you can start to say, all right, from a measurement perspective, that means that if we want, say, four or five-star recruits, we're probably going to need to be talking to 20 of them because in the end, we're not going to get it. So right. there's, there's kind of, it gets back to that sales funnel that says if you want this, then if you work backwards, here's kind of the steps along the way. But what I see so often is people don't, they'll just create some random metrics without really thinking about the end states. It right. says here is success. Once you know that, then you start branching out further and further to say all along the way if we're tracking towards success here's the kind of milestones that we should be reaching
2: so what I just heard you say and I just want to yep. run this past you to make sure I got it was for a coaching staff for example to take a look back over the last two or three years and say okay when we send out an email here's typically the response rate we have been getting before we went through all these exercises and really honed our story and and so that would be a way then if you're if you're getting the same result or the same uh, the same response rate something about the story you know is still isn't connecting because nothing has improved um, and and you know conversely if you are if if you are doing it better and more effectively then you should see
0: that that jump is that a fair fair way to sort of outline that yeah, yeah, absolutely I mean you know having the historic data versus the current I mean that's kind of benchmarking etc um, but you know I think so that that absolutely is right. You, you know, I guess there's a couple things though. So one is you want to make sure in the uh, kind of measurement. Is it a story problem or is it a delivery problem as well? Because that's, that's the thing, you know, I would, I would hate for people to switch the story too quickly, unless you know for certain that everyone's telling that story perfectly. And, you know, that, that's the danger is you might have an amazing story, but if you actually go in the field and listen to people tell it, they might not be telling it. And so that's, that would be my only caution is all the metrics and all that stuff's great, but just make sure that you're, you know, you're measuring the proper thing.
2: Right, so that that's fantastic. Um, how and here's another tough, probably unfair question: How do you how do you identify whether it's a story problem or a delivery problem like what, what would be a couple of simple things that you would advise a business to to look at and that we could also advise coaches to look at
0: yeah so I think the first thing would be where is success from coming from right so for instance if I see success coming from two people and not the other eight then that's probably an operational problem right um but if I see you know ten percent across the board um, is slightly better then maybe the message needs to be tweaked, maybe the story's better, but if you see pockets of people that are just doing great, but other people aren't, um, then that, that to me tells me that there's more of an operational problem. So I think that's what I'm looking for is, do I see kind of consistency in the numbers or do I see anomalies? If I see anomalies, generally that's a deeper issue, but if it's consistently underperforming, then that's, that's a different story. So here's what I hear a lot, Joe is, okay
2: Dan, I want something to measure by. So what should we be getting in terms of an email response or how many people should we be should we be sending this out to to get enough recruits? And you I don't know if you know, you know, if businesses sort of come at you with the same sort of questions, they almost want a what is the right thing to do or what's the standard I should meet and my response is that it's not it's different from place to place, it's different from program to program and so how how do you answer, and, and do you hear in, on the business side the same sort of question like what's the right thing to do, Joe? Um, what because they're coming in from a, a space of not knowing, uh, not knowing necessarily what is the mark I should hit. Do you get that question a lot?
0: Like yeah. what, what? So what's what should we be aiming for? What's a good response rate percentage? Yeah, so we do get that question and. Um, usually it it gets back to the message. So for example, people will say, hey, what's my response rate? How many this or that should I be getting? And a lot of times the answer is to narrow, okay? Mm. So if you are not getting the response rate you want, what people feel like is I need more. I need to jam more in the funnel. Very much a college Uh, mindset by the way right and so the idea in business is a lot of times it's not a quantity problem it's it's really being able to narrow your focus because a lot of times what happens is people want to build messages for everyone and when you build a message for everyone you're building a message for no one Mm -hmm. because it speaks to no one so when you have specificity when you're locked in on a target even if it's a small target a small pool that you're fishing in your likelihood of catching what you want is much greater and so A lot of times what I'm I'm encouraging people is don't get fixated on you have a thousand. I'd rather have 15 good prospects rather than a thousand of garbage in my pipeline. So a lot of times it's really focusing in on what you want and then narrowing it there. So to me, the numbers can be... Uh, you know, they they can give you overconfidence because you feel like, man, I got tons of numbers. But in the end, that's not really delivering what you want. And that's why I said you start with success. If success is top tier of this, then you need to fish in a different pool. If you're just looking for, hey, I want 10,000 applications, then great. You can just send it out to everyone. But if you really want something specific, that takes a little more narrow focus. Do you see um
2: Two more questions before we wrap up. The first one being: Do you see some common mistakes being made in the way people evaluate? Uh, And you you sort of danced around that a little bit in that last answer. That uh, you know, sometimes it's uh, it's not. You you brought up earlier: it's not a story problem; it's a delivery problem. And you know, the dangers of of throwing out the story because it's a, a delivery. So when it comes to Evaluating how well your team or your program, your coaching staff, your business is executing that um, is, is executing that story and and you're doing the evaluation. What are some things that you've seen businesses do wrong that you know that people could learn from in listening to this? Or the wrong way to evaluate the effectiveness of a campaign?
0: Yes, yeah, so I think the the wrong way is just kind of a single checkbox to say, you know it, right? So if one time you can just kind of mutter through the message and you can tell the story, I'm like, all right, good. So it's like, you know, giving someone a license where you're not really sure what they're going to do on the highway. right? Um, Cause we've only driven in the parking lot. And so that's the idea. We both it's- have teenage kids who just became a driver or are about to come be- become right. a driver. So that's very applicable, yeah. Joe. So it's, you know, I think that's the key is that you want to, you want to make sure there's, there's deep learning there. And you know, I, so when I'm teaching people messages messages, even before I have them kind of memorize the script, we'll break it into pieces to really make sure they understand the essence of it. Because if they understand the essence, they can tell it in their own language and it's comfortable for them. Where if I force them to sound or say the exact thing I want, it's not going to feel comfortable and by default people don't do it. So I think you want a level of comfort. The other thing is you want to see them do it. So for example, one of our uh, things that we used to do in the sales team is we'd bring in the CFO of our company and we would pitch to them. We'd give our elevator pitch to our CFO and let him say, no, that was terrible. But the idea was you're actually sitting in front of executive, all your salespeople are in there, so it, it kind of amps up the pressure. And so in sports it's like like game time practice, right? So you want it to be feel like it's the real thing and that also helps because people might sound great in a safe environment, they get in a pressure filled environment. They're terrible. Right. Yeah, a great, great point. Um, a
2: lot of times when we're on a campus we'll Uh, depending on what that that campus has us doing for the the day or the two days that we're there is we'll bring in the freshmen that they just recruited and got onto campus and we'll kind of go through some of that like one of my favorite things to do is to take them through what their on-campus visit experience was like because a lot of those from college to college could be the same and start to look and sound and feel the same and they'll tell us what went wrong or what they liked and didn't like what they want to spend more time with uh and we come up with this completely different visit based on their real experience and that's sort of what i hear you saying okay so last question as we wrap this up and thank you for all the time that you devoted to this but my last question is is simple and it's more philosophical why is all of this so hard for us as pretty advanced culture with all of these information sources all these different ways to tell stories
0: why is it so hard to be an effective storyteller Uh, I think fundamentally people are selfish that Mm. that's really what it comes down to is we live in a me society and everyone thinks about themselves first and and so that's, that's the reality of the world. And so the problem is when you get into storytelling, you want to make it about you where other people want to make it about them. And so the great storytellers, they're able to kind of fight their resistance to make themselves the center of the universe and put the spotlight on someone else. And the, the few people that can actually do that, it makes you stand out. But you almost have to fight your nature because we all want to be the center of the universe. We want, all want it to be about us. And if you think about the people you're trying to sell are the exact same way so let
2: them be. All right, Coach, that is going to wrap it up. We hopefully have given you several tools to use as you want to go in and recreate this story that you're telling your recruits so that it is even more effective this year. We want the results to be better. That's what we're all about here. If you need help, if you want somebody to help guide you Myself and our team here at Tutor Collegiate Strategies would love to do that. You can email me. Easy to get a hold of me, dan at dantutor.com. We can explain what we do in our in our work with, with programs and coaches as clients and why that makes such an effective difference. And uh, and also on that website you can go back and look at articles from the last 13 years, research articles, tips. Uh, Most of those are completely free to use. And you can also go back and listen to uh, past episodes of the podcast. So we invite you to do all that. Become a smarter recruiter. Tell better stories and be more effective at this core part of your job. Coach, thanks for listening to this episode of the College Recruiting Weekly Podcast. We're going to be back with more. So keep on listening and tell your friends. And thank you for being a part of it.
1: on high let's drink a toast as each of us recalls ivy-covered professors in ivy-covered halls turn on the spigot pour the beer and swig it and gaudi it a tour Here's two parties we tossed To the games that we lost We shall claim that we won them someday To the girls, young and sweet To the spacious back seat Of our roommates' beat-up Chevrolet To the beer and Benzedrine To the way that the dean tried so hard To be pals with us all To excuses we fibbed To the papers we cribbed From the genius who lived down the hall To our tables down at Maury's, wherever that may be, let us drink a toast to all we love the best. We will sleep through all the lectures and cheat on the exams, and we'll pass and be forgotten with the rest. Oh, soon we'll be out amid the cold world's strife. Soon we'll be sliding down the razor blade of life, But as we go our sordid separate ways, we shall ne'er forget thee, thou golden college days. Hearts full of youth, hearts full of truth, six parts gin to one part vermouth.